Jesus said to all of his disciples, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I don't like that this is true, but people are more often drawn to church out of their problems instead of their successes. People don't usually wake up the day after receiving a raise to say, hey, you know what? I want to go tell my pastor the good news. People come to my office when they get fired. People don't get engaged and the first thought is, hey, let's call the pastor so he knows that we just got engaged. No, people come knocking on my door when they're thinking about getting divorced. And frankly, that's probably a good thing. After all, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. It's at the church where we can finally dispense with all the pretending and we can admit the condition of our condition. And friends, our condition is real bad. Real, real bad. Here is just a sample of headlines from the last seven days. One in ten older adults binge drink more than once a week. Father forgets his twins in hot car for eight hours, resulting in their death. Two American mass shootings in 24 hours, and the third in less than a week. We don't even need to look at the newspaper Turn on our televisions or get online to know how bad things really are. Just drive up and down Route 1 this afternoon. Go north, go south, look around, you'll see. You'll see. We are a stumbling people. And in all of our stumbling, we're causing other other people to stumble as well. And so there's a question, what are we going to do about it? Well, I've been thinking and I've, I've come up with a plan. And it's not an easy one. Some of you are not going to like it, and that's okay, but here's my idea. I think if we do this, it will start fixing a lot of our problems. So you didn't see it when you came in, but I've I've got a bunch of buckets, metal buckets, in our narthex. A couple dozen of them. And with every bucket, there's a bag of quick-dry cement. And after worship today, I want each of you to take a bucket and to take a bag of quick-dry cement, and we're going to walk down to the Occoquan. And we're going to put our feet in our buckets, and we're going to fill them with concrete, and then we're going to throw ourselves into the water. (laughs) Problems solved. Now, before you get really angry about what I said, before you throw things at me, before you send an email to the bishop, this was not my idea. Friends, this one's from Jesus. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come. But woe to you by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause another person to stumble. That's from Jesus. So who's ready? Who's ready to go down to the water with me this afternoon? Huh? Jesus is right. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come. It is inevitable that scandals will come. And I know that scandal sounds different than occasions for stumbling, but in Greek, the word is scandal. It says occasions for scandal are going to come. And the words we use, as I've said, are very important. Because in the Bible, scandal is used for two reasons. 
One, it's used when referencing something that occasions sin or temptation. It is a scandal. But it is also a reference to the cross of Christ. The scandal of the cross. Paul loves to write about the scandal of the cross as in to the weakness, to the foolishness of God at work in the person of Jesus who died to save us. Now, it is absolutely a scandal to cause someone else to sin in their life. Of course. But it is also absolutely a scandal that God chose to come into the world to be a poor man who inevitably died on a cross only to rise again. Which leaves all of us with a question. I mean, what kind of scandal is Jesus talking about? If you want to take Jesus literally here, by all means, go for it. Just recognize that each of us, in ways both small and large, we've caused other people to sin. We can all throw ourselves into the Occoquan, but friends, that does not sound like good news. That sounds like really, really bad news. So maybe... The scandal here is different than we've heard. Maybe the scandal that Jesus is talking about is the scandal that causes other people to stumble. And that's telling other people they have to do something in order to get God to do something. That the greatest scandal of all isn't what we do to other people, but that God was willing to do what God did for us. You know, the way we treat sin today, it's like it's inescapable. We label people by their sins and it stays with them till the end of their days. But in the same way, the cross of Christ is inescapable as well. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, your sins have been nailed to it. So we could read the verse very differently. It would be better for someone to meet a violent end than to make someone else believe that to get grace, they've got to do something to get it. Because the cross is an uncomfortable and unwavering reminder that you and I, we don't need to do a thing for the cross. And so much at the same time of what we do as a culture and heaven forbid as a church is tell people there is always more for you to do in order to get God to do anything. And I think that might be the greatest stumbling block of all. And Jesus, of course, doesn't leave it right there. He begins to teach the disciples about what it really means to forgive. And the disciples bless their little hearts. They're just like us. And they, want, and they hear the Lord tell them that if they're going to forgive people, they have to never stop forgiving them. And that cuts across everything they've ever heard and everything we've ever heard. According to the world, it is bad advice to keep forgiving people who wrong us. It's just a bad idea. But in the kingdom, the truth is that only those who are willing to lose can ever really win. If we insist on being right being perfect and only surrounding ourselves with right and perfect people, then according to the Lord, salvation, we can just kiss it goodbye. Moreover, if the only people you ever hang out with are right and perfect people, your life's going to be real boring. The disciples, in this circumstance, they hear a word from the Lord about unending forgiveness, and they recognize they don't have nearly the amount of spiritual resources necessary to keep forgiving people. And so they ask for the thing they need. They say, Lord, please increase our faith. And the way that we often treat their request is to assume that we need to ask for the same thing. If only we had a little more faith, then we could do the kind of forgiving work that Jesus is talking about. If we only had a little more faith, we wouldn't cause other people to stumble And then Jesus starts talking about the mustard seed, and we hear that as, as long as we start small, we'll be okay. 
But that actually feels like we're going backwards. I mean, notice, they ask for more faith. And Jesus tells them that even if they had less faith than they currently have, a mustard seed is nothing. If you had less faith, then all of the crazy and the preposterous and impossible things I talk about could be true. In other words, Jesus looks at his disciples, his ragtag group of followers. He looks at each and every one of us, and he declares for the thousandth time that even when it comes to faith, we don't have to be winners. And that, to me, sounds a lot better than going down to the water with our feet in cement buckets. Faith. Have more faith. We're told this again and again, and I don't know about you, but I get exhausted when I hear that I just need to have more faith. Lost your job? You need to have more faith. Can't get a date? Just have more faith. Worry about your bills? Just have more faith. Faith isn't faith if it needs to be more or greater or bigger or stronger. Somewhere along the lines, we crossed our wires and we haven't figured out how to put them back. We have these absurd notions even in the church, that we've got these little faith meters in our brains. That when we're born, we're, we start at zero, and then every time we have more faith, it ratchets up. And then when we die, if we have 100% faith, then we get to go to heaven. But the truth of the gospel is that we cannot be saved by our faith. Any more than we can be saved by our measurements of morality or our supplements of spirituality. All this talk of self-help, it amounts to nothing more than salvation by works, which Jesus Gospels and the letters of Paul say again and again is not the way God works. It is a crying shame that we have fallen into a trap of thinking that more means salvation. Which makes the mustard seed even crazier because when we take it in light of Jesus' words and his work, maybe faith isn't even essential at all. I mean, what does a mustard seed have to do to do anything? It has to be buried in the ground. It has to be killed so that it can become something new. So perhaps even if we have no faith at all, even if we say no to Jesus again and again, we still die and out of our deaths we are raised. I know that sounds crazy, but Jesus is crazy. Over and over, Jesus speaks of the all of salvation, the all of the cross. It's we who put numbers and figures on the all. Of course, we won't be able to enjoy the supper of the Lamb. We won't throw ourselves into a, a dance on the dance floor of salvation unless we say yes to it. But Jesus' party, it is inescapable. Even if we don't want it, as crazy as that sounds, Jesus' nagging invitation will never, ever stop. Not now, not ever. Says Jesus desires to gather all of us in to his loving embrace. Which leads us to the final part of our scripture for today. The, the last part of the parable, the returning servant. And friends, we've butchered this almost worse than all the other stuff. We've read this as a call for there to be certain kinds of people with certain kinds of roles in the world. In fact, slave owners used to use this last little section to keep their slaves in their places. But Jesus, Jesus is far craftier than that. Do you thank your slaves for doing the work they were commanded? No, of course you don't thank them. They're your slaves. They have a job to do. Coming in the wake of the scandal of the cross, the unending forgiveness, the limited faith, the final movement here sounds like Jesus is knocking the disciples in the back of the head one more time with the gospel truth. 
Remember the unthanked and the unrewarded slave the next time we expect God to thank us for any of our good little deeds. We followers of Jesus have only got one thing to do that's worth much of anything, and that's to die. To die. To die to the ways we think the world works. To die to the things that we refuse to let go of. Die to the life we so desperately cling to. Because in the end, our death is all that God requires of us. It's the only thing God needs. Because everything else that needs doing, it's been done by God. We just get to participate with him. I know it stings. But I also know it stings far less than thinking about cementing our feet and going to the Occupon this afternoon. I know we don't like to hear it. But I also know that if we're honest with ourselves, all of us know deep down that we could never ever earn the salvation from God that has been offered to us. Because no matter how good any of us are, no matter what kind of list of good deeds we'd be able to show at the end of our days, it would never, ever compare with what God is doing and what God has done for us. The greatest scandal, the one we stumble over the most, is the cross. Because it shines like a beacon and a reminder day after day that we don't deserve this. But that God did it anyway. My sin, oh my sin, the bless of this Glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Would you all please pray with me? Lord, give us strength. Give us strength not only to sing what we sing, but to live according to what we sing. For Lord, if we believe that all of our sins have been nailed to the cross, then the way we see ourselves, and more importantly, the way we see other people has got to change. Because it's not just my sins that have been nailed, it's all of ours. So Lord, do what is necessary to us, in us, through us, that we might become a people of your word whose behavior is shaped by what we believe. Because, O oh Lord, we believe we don't deserve you or your son or your spirit. We believe we don't deserve this meal. We believe we don't deserve so many of the things you've given to us because we are very broken people living in a very broken world. At the very least, O oh Lord, Help us die to the foolish things we think give us life. So that we can put away the old self and clothe ourselves with the new, which is your son. Amen. Amen.